Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. I'm at the Sunbury Press studio at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest is Francesco da Vinci, the author of I Refuse to Kill, My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s. Francesco da Vinci is a journalist, nonviolent activist, public speaker, and documentary film producer. Previously, for more than 20 years, he was a celebrity portrait photographer with Getty Images. Publication of Francesco's work included the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, Newsweek, Time, and Life magazine. Currently, Francesco lives and works in Los Angeles, where he's developing a documentary film based on I Refuse to Kill. Said Noam Chomsky, Francesco da Vinci's course has been an inspiration for all of us. Welcome, Francesco Francesco da Vinci. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Where to begin? You know, I'll just say, uh, you know, having edited your book myself, what a journey it was, and... uh, I also recently sent a copy to my mother. And, oh, wonderful. And she absolutely uh, just loves the book. She's a conscientious objector herself. And I think I shared wow. with you, you know, my, some of my family's background uh, supporting that philosophy through the Church of the Brethren and, and through other history and my family lineage. But, you yeah, know, this isn't about me. This is about you. So um, we're fans, let's just say. Um, yeah, we're linked. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how Francesco da Vinci enters the world, and where did this uh, conscientious objection come from? Well, I was raised by pacifist parents. Uh, My father was a prominent psychiatrist and uh, doctor, and my mom was a nurse, and they were always into a helping profession. Uh, So that inspired me. However, uh, I would say even though we shared these uh, nonviolent beliefs, uh, they didn't want to see their son go to prison and risk take a risk which they thought was unnecessary uh, they favored that i went to either canada or fake my way out of the draft but i wanted to stay true to my conscience and be honest with my draft board yeah so it it is amazing uh, the the path you went through from a legal perspective uh you know i don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody who went to Canada, but I think it took a lot of courage on your part to stay and challenge it from a legal perspective and to, you know, go to the draft board and and state your case. And uh, so I guess, uh, how many times did you come close to to being sent to jail for this back in the 60s? I came as about as close as you can possibly come because my case Uh, went three years on appeal, and I faced the draft for eight years. And it was on the very, very last appeal that I won my case to state director of selective service in Virginia, a very tough draft board state, uh, overturned in my favor at the last moment. It it was so close that my girlfriend and I had made plans that um, how to handle prison, and she was going to even move close to the uh, prison area so that we'd still be in touch. Wow. What year was that? Was that? That was 1971, All the right. year that Starbucks was founded. <laughs> uh, so every time I see those Starbucks employees wearing that 1971 shirt, it kind of 
inspires me and I relive that moment again. You know what else is amazing, Francesco? That's now more than 50 years ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think about that. I'm, I'm older than that, too, and I, I think about how much time's gone by. So, Well, when I, I was going to mention that when I started, this is all based on 11-year journal, uh, my 11-year journal mm -hmm. from 1960 to 1971. In the beginning, I had no idea this was going to turn out to be one of the most tumultuous and significant periods in American history. Right. But uh, that's the way it worked, and then I took pictures along the way, and a lot of those pictures are in the book, as you know. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's almost hard, it's almost hard to believe how you ended up being at, in many cases, the the right place at the wrong time. I'll say because you you were, in some cases, near some some events that were. Uh, it's very trying, and uh, many times, you know, you're interacting with other historic figures. May maybe give us a sense of the earlier '60s and Kennedy, the Kennedys, and how you interacted there. Yeah, well, what started it off for me? I had a series of wake-up calls, and I would say the first one was the civil rights movement was going on from the '50s. So I grew up seeing that on television, and I saw that we had some serious problems with social justice to address, and. Then uh, I attended, as a teenager, President John F. Kennedy's inauguration, and that was inspiring because he spoke directly to our generation and told us to get involved and make the country better. Of course, uh, no one realized how serious we would take that, uh, and really it turned out to be a, a nonviolent revolution in America at the time uh, with the, from the civil rights and then the peace movement stood on the shoulders of the civil rights movement and applied nonviolence to ending the Vietnam War. So that um, was a very polarized time at the beginning. The difference was our generation was pretty united in spirit in general. And um, it was like, you know, the old saying, don't trust anyone over 30. It was kind of like an, a big age polarization, and the country was very yeah. divided. Uh, so that wake-up call started with the civil rights uh, movement and then uh, Kennedy, and then the draft came, and that in, uh, you know got us thinking, forced us to reevaluate our lives and think about the bigger picture of war and our responsibility in dealing with war. When did the draft start? Was that 64 or 5? Yeah, uh, like I registered uh, late, uh, and... You know, I've always felt that the, the draft is a system of involuntary servitude. It's really undemocratic. And now, as you know, it's uh, coming up as an issue again, and they want to expand it to women. Mm -hmm. um, and they're trying to brand it as, uh, you know, as a feminist good thing to do. But I feel really the whole system of draft is uh, involuntary servitude, undemocratic, and we shouldn't uh, have a selective service in a democracy. Yeah. Yeah, well, we haven't really needed it since the Vietnam era, and we've, right. we've uh, unfortunately gone to war a few times uh, without a draft. So, I, I think the, um, you know, the photography angle that that you weave through your your story. Of course, you you become a professional photographer. What do you think uh, in that early era were your most impactful photographs, or the ones that you think are most memorable? Sure. Well. I would say meeting Rosa Parks was an important one. Uh, I'd always uh, looked up to her courage. And uh, when I photographed her, you know, I'm very intuitive with people. Um, I, I probably got that from my dad, who was, uh, you know, a prominent psychiatrist. And uh, he had a, 
you know, he loved people and had a gift for reading people. And when I photographed her, I felt like there was such determination in her eyes when we talked about her story. Um, so that was definitely an important one. I uh, got to meet um, Senator Robert Kennedy three times and photographed him uh, when I attended the Democratic Convention before it even started. Uh, we, I ran into him walking to the convention hall with a crowd of people and they surrounded his car and he got out of the car, stood on the roof and talked to us and told us to get involved. And that was 1964 Atlantic City Convention. And, you know, you just couldn't help thinking back to John Kennedy telling us the same thing about getting involved. And here was Robert Kennedy right before my camera telling us again to get involved. So that was inspiring. Senator Eugene McCarthy became a personal friend. Uh, I met him at his home in Virginia and interviewed him looking back and reminiscing on uh, his candidacy. He was, you know, Robert Kennedy and Senator Eugene McCarthy. They were the peace candidates in 1968. Um, and then I would say Cesar Chavez was a big inspiration. He always he would say, si se puede, yes, we can, we can do this. Um, Joan Baez, Muhammad Ali, certainly look at the courage he faced, uh, got faced a five-year prison term uh, for his induction, uh, lost the prime years of his boxing career on principle, and Dr. King saluted him. And, uh, of course, I didn't meet Dr. King, but uh, he was always in my consciousness, and he said, be of service to others. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg, photographing him and what he did in the Pentagon Papers, and last, um, well, I wouldn't say last, Peter Yarrow, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, their, their music just inspired me, uh, songs like Blowing in the Wind. Um, and then last would be uh, astronaut Neil Armstrong, who became one of my best friends for over 20 years. Wow. We're talking to Francesco da Vinci. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books is the home of independent and diverse authors. Check out the Agency Books imprint for detective, law enforcement, espionage, terrorism, spy thrillers, and more. Among the works available, The Apologist, a Luke Lundy novel by A.A. A. Weiss, J.A. Walsh's Purpose of Evasion, and Douglas Brody's Sand, or Once Upon a Time in the Jazz Age. Find these and other fascinating books at sunburypress.com. We're back with Francesco da Vinci, and we last left left off talking about Neil Armstrong being a good friend. How did, how did that come about? Well, uh, I was Bob Hope's main photographer throughout the 80s. And one day, uh, Bob was doing a special on the space program, a salute to NASA. And Neil was the featured guest. And that's how we met. Uh, I was so I was already a space nerd. Yeah. So uh, it was a big thrill for me to even possibly meet Neil because he was the person that I wanted to meet uh, more than anybody else. Uh, so uh, a makeup artist uh, who did the makeup for the show introduced me and then I photographed him and we ended up becoming best friends for over 20 years. And that's another example of respectful differences in my life because my best buddy, Jerry, served in the Navy in Vietnam. And here I am, a conscientious objector, but it was, again, respectful differences. And that's the way it was with Neil. We never let our politics uh, get in the way of our friendship. Yeah. And, of course, uh, in my view, this is what our country needs to, to get back to, again, respectful differences and listen to each other uh, instead of choosing upside so much. Agreed. Agreed. 
And I, I'm a space nerd too, so I have to take you back to, to <laughs> Neil just for a minute. Yeah, oh, sure. I, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, it, it, I'm embarrassed to say, I, I think I was five when the moon landing occurred. And I remember, and this is what I recall. I remember my mother setting up a little little table by the TV. And of course, it was a black and white TV. And uh, my sister and I sat there and watched it. My brother was a baby. And, uh, yeah. You know, so I have this vision of remembering the moon landing. I don't know when it actually occurred or when it was broadcast on TV and all that. And if I was just watching yeah. a rerun or a newscast, but uh, July 20, 1969. Yeah, yeah. So 1056. But that that's stuck with me ever since. And you know, of course, Neil Armstrong, another hero of mine. In those twenty years of friendship, did he ever did he ever give you a sense of what it was like to be all alone out there in space with such a risky mission? Well, and, you know. That's it's an interesting question, Lawrence, because we were kind of stayed away from politics, religion, and the, for his work, you know, everyone was asking him about space. Yeah. So part of our friendship was really minimizing that topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. So yeah, even though I had a million questions, <laughs> I wanted sure. to ask him. Yeah, like, did you see the aliens for real on the dark side of the moon? Uh, yeah, just kidding. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but I uh, held back barely. Yeah, I'm sure. No, that that's wonderful. So yeah, he was um, so inspiring. You know, he had so much integrity, and he tended to be on the quiet side. And when he spoke, you know, it was usually something important. Yeah, yeah, he was an amazing guy. So let's talk a little bit about Peter, Paul, and Mary, because I know Peter Yarrow wrote the foreword for the book. So what what was your connection with Peter? Well, growing up, you know, I would go to their concerts. And one of the beautiful things about, uh, in addition to their inspiring music, was they would come out after each show and talk to the fans, you know, and I really admired that. And then later, I never imagined that Peter and I would become good friends. And Peter, you know, a lot of people don't give them the credit that they deserve. They were in early on the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were promoting humanistic causes around the world. And so in addition to their music, you know, they were trying to do their part uh, to better the country. So Peter and I became good friends, and uh, he would always uh, call me brother, like a brother. And I thought that was nice and, and inspired me. And all these people I'm just so honored to have met by chance uh, a lot of times, um, and, you know, they, they inspired me. I said, I've got to, you know, I've got to emulate this and the music and these uh, people that took a stand. And then, you know, looking back when I researched and found out more about conscientious objection, uh, I wanted to honor all the COs that made so many sacrifices throughout our history that have been, you know, shamefully omitted from our history books. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're very educated in uh, war but we're kind of peace illiterate in general. So one of the things that I wanted to do with the memoir is to get that tribute out to COs in the past that, uh, you know, they made incredible, they were slandered, they were tortured, and sometimes they were even killed for their beliefs on nonviolence. So I think it's time, high time, that we honor them. Who would you say is uh, maybe one of the most inspirational COs? Wow. Um, Sorry to ask such a tough question this no, early no, in the morning. No. <laughs> no, it's just that they're uh, they're also inspirational in their own way. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, I would say, w without 
just naming a, a particular CO, I would say Gandhi was uh, my main role model right. who gave me the philosophy of nonviolence. And one of the chief tenets of it that I tried to practice in my own life is making the way you do something just as important as your goal, means and ends. And that really struck a chord with me. And I said, I want to try to make my thoughts, my words, and my actions harmonious as much as I can. Um, and then forgive myself for screwing up when I you know, stray from that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great example. All right. Well, we've been talking to Francesco da Vinci. We'll be right back in a few minutes. The BookSpeak Network brings you History Through Biography. Sunbury Press Books founder and publisher Lawrence Knorr hosts this program that takes a look at pivotal figures in American history, including the famous, the infamous, and the not-so-well-known. Lawrence is joined by Joe Farrell and Joe Farley, authors of the Keystone Tombstone series of books, available at sunburypress.com. History Through Biography, here on the BookSpeak Network. I'm back with Francesco da Vinci. And we're talking about his book, I Refuse to Kill, My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s. Uh, Francesco, when I opened, I mentioned that you're also working on a film based on I Refuse to Kill, a documentary. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, where you're at in the process, what the goals are. Sure. Well, the goal is the documentary film and then a feature film. Uh, if people are listening uh, who saw Hacksaw Ridge... Uh, about a conscientious objector from World War II, Desmond Doss. That is the path we're trying to take. They made a documentary first on conscientious objection, and then they told Desmond Doss' story as a feature film. And that's what we're trying to do. Uh, I have already adapted the book to a screenplay, so we have the script, and we're sending it out to uh, producers, in case a major producer is listening right now. And uh, second... We're developing the documentary now, putting together the crew, and we're going to film mainly in San Diego where most of the story takes place. Mm -hmm. So um, anything else planned with the book? Any other talks that you've given? Yeah, we have some exciting events coming up. I would say on uh, July 16th, for those that are in L.A., this is a free event open to the public. Uh, We have a band that's going to play Beatles songs and celebrate our book, a get-together, and that's going to be in Westwood Village near UCLA. And it's at a cafe called Meat Fresh. And everybody is uh, listening is welcome to attend. Uh, that'll be 2 o'clock on a Saturday, July 16th. That happens to be, this is reflecting my space nerdishness, uh, the day that they, uh, Apollo 11 took off for the moon, nice. July 16th. Nice. So uh, that's the first thing. And I uh, hope somebody can make it. Uh, that's listening. Uh, and also in September, we're going to have uh, a, a national uh, broadcast. It's a book club. Uh, World Beyond War is sponsoring it. And I'll have four sessions and people have to register in advance if they want to take it. And we talk about the book and war and peace in general. So that's uh, w- if you went to the website for World Beyond War, uh, they'll have a uh, notice about you can sign up for the course. It's only uh, four sessions through uh, through September, weekly sessions. So I invite uh, those that are interested, please sign up. All right. And I uh, I wanted to ask you, too, while we still had a couple minutes, uh, in you know, the world we're living in, the times we're living in now, 
yeah. how the lessons from the 1960s might best be used uh, in today's world. There are so many parallels. It's amazing. You know, the, we're still in the civil rights struggle. Uh, we're still facing uh, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, all these issues that uh, went from the 60s. But, you know, the important thing is I want to speak directly to today's generation. And there's some, you know, great quotes that people along the way were talking about inspirational people. Alice Walker had a great quote. She said, the most common way people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. So I'm trying to encourage people with this book and with my public speaking, you know, do what you can in your microcosm. You know, we got to begin with ourselves. Sometimes it's just overwhelming, you know, all these problems. You know, look at Ukraine and Putin. Uh, don't become immobilized. Don't give up. Never give up. These are oppressive times, but, you know, it's a roller coaster ride, you know. There are good times and bad times, oppressive times and better times. So let's face the violence that are in ourselves and our country and know that we can do better. We can make a difference. But start, you know, it can be small. Show kindness. Be Dr. King always said about being of service to others. It has a ripple effect. So, you know, when we're kind and we're not focused on what we don't like and being judgmental, etc., we feel better about ourselves and when we feel better about ourselves, we're more likely to treat other people better. So I say don't look just to uh, the big picture. Also, what you can do in your own community and with yourself. Gandhi said, uh, look inward, you know, be the change. Francesco, we're just about out of time. So I, I do want to thank you for being on today. Thank and, you so much for this. And I promise you uh, that one of the first people to listen to this will be my mother, who's reading your book right now. Great. <laughs> so pleased. All right. Well, good luck with the, with the film and the events that are coming up. And uh, if you're listening and can attend, please do. I've been talking to Francesco da Vinci, the author of I Refuse to Kill, My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.